Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Football Feeding Frenzy on Fantasy Sharks Radio. I am your host, Gary Davenport. We are but eight short days away from the 2017 NFL Draft. Silly season is in high gear. Speculation and rumors running rampant, and here to break it all down with me, as always, my esteemed co-host, Todd Latsky. How are you this evening, sir? Uh, I'm feeling like uh, it's been raining here for several days up here in the the Twin Cities, and it seems like uh, there's really no end in sight. So, um, boy, April showers really does ring true at this point in time of year, at least up here in the the upper Midwest. But other than that, I'm really looking forward to the draft as well. There's all kinds of rumors, all kinds of speculation, all kinds of anticipation. Everybody is talking to me at work. What are the what? Are, who's going to do what? Who's going to trade? Who, who's the number one pick? What are the Vikings going to do? Endless questions. We're here tonight to get those all answered for you, or at least a lot of them. You know what I love about it is I get the same thing. You know, my brother is a Bengals fan. He's asked me fifty times in the last month what the Bengals are going to do with their first round pick, and I've given him three or four possibilities. And there's an excellent chance I'm going to be wrong. That's a great. I mean, there are people who spend a lot more time studying the draft than I do. There are writers at Bleacher Report. That's their focus. That's all they really concentrate on. Once the draft's over, they'll move on to scouting the class of 2018 and focusing on those guys. They watch infinitely more tapes than I do, do infinitely more research, and yet when draft night rolls around, they'll be just as wrong as I am. It's just it's a very speculative art, and I hope people bear that in mind. I know mock drafts are a ton of fun for fans to read. They can be fun to write as an exercise in what, could happen, but you just can't expect it to be 100% accurate or even 50% accurate. We just there's no telling what's inside a front office's head once the night. And you could have a team that's set on a pick on the day before the draft, and by the time April 27th rolls around and they go on the clock, they pick someone entirely different. It's it's draft man. It's draft day. It's Kevin Costner, man. Before we get to the draft, though. A little bit of veteran news of note around the National Football League in the past few days. We saw a retirement today. Andre Johnson signed the proverbial one-day deal to retire as a member of the Houston Texans, as he should, given that that's, he was a Houston Texan. I, mean, I don't think anyone's going to remember the cup of coffee he had with the Colts at the end of his career. But it was obviously a great career. I believe he finished, I want to say he's 11th in career receiving yardage as things stand today. So let me ask you, Todd, is Andre Johnson a Hall of Famer? And if so, is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? Well, I think eventually he will get into the Hall of Fame. But if we take a look at what's happened the past several years with some of the wide receivers who have been delayed entrance into the Hall of Fame, and then ask if he's going to be a first-timer when these others weren't. And I'm talking Michael Irvin. I'm talking Marvin Harrison. I'm talking T.O., who is still uh, – it seems like that there's a delayed process in getting wide receivers into the Hall of Fame. Eventually, I do think he will get there, but it will not be a first-timer. Well, I think you hit the nail squarely on the head. I mean – Granted, Johnson doesn't have the numbers of a Torello, and he also doesn't have the baggage of a Torello, which reportedly is what has kept T.O. out of the Hall of Fame to this point, although T.O. is going to get in. I know that's why I don't understand why people freak out so much about Torello and not being in the Hall of Fame. He's going to get into the Hall sooner or later. There's just so many great receivers, and as the NFL becomes more and more pass-happy, the number of receivers putting up gaudy numbers just increases. So the log jam that we've seen these past four or five years that you mentioned, that's just going to get worse. 
I mean, as things stand right now, you're going to see Andre Johnson go his first year of eligibility. Steve Smith will be eligible. Is Smith, I don't know that he has as strong a case for the Hall as Andre Johnson does, but I think he has a decent case for being one of the 15 finalists in a given year. And the more finalists you have at a given position, you know, I think the more it hurts the case of all the players at that position, you get that log jam. And depending on whether or not uh, Anquan Bolden is able to find work, this could, if he winds up hanging them up, you know, we'll also see he would be eligible the same year. So, although I think, I think Anquan Bolton is going to play in 2017 if he wants to. I mean, given the way he played last year for the Detroit Lions, he's second in catchers, second in yards, led the team in touchdown catches. I would think there would be plenty of NFL teams like, like if I'm the Tennessee Titans, I'm calling, I'm getting on the phone with Anquan Bolton right now. I want him to come play for my team. But we'll see. Well, sure, We've there's had many little... teams that there's been there's many teams that he would be a nice fit for. Uh, I still think he'd be a great tutor slash coach or whatever you want to say it and game presence for the Vikings. I think he's a Treadwell is a Laquan Treadwell is an exact duplicate of Anquan Bolden. Who better than to teach him than Anquan Bolden for a year and help guide this very young team, especially with no Adrian Peterson now on offense. Uh, what, what a better presence to have in a locker room as a leader. I think with Bolden, more than, as much as anything right now, he's just biding his time to wait and see how the draft shakes out so he can get a feel for how these, because I'm sure he's been called by any number of teams. He's trying to see what those teams' depth charts look like. I know that in a perfect world he would like to play closer to his home in Florida, so I'm sure that could be a factor for him. And, you know, he's 36 years old. I don't think Anquan Bolden is in any great hurry to go show up for OTAs or training camp for that. I'm sure Anquan would be fine with just showing up in July and playing football. So I, he'll play oh. this year. As you, if you Google Anquan Bolden free agency, like 12 articles show up with why the – blankety-blank should sign Anquan Bolden, and you can make a good case for any number of teams in the league. He's not the field stretcher that he was you know, 10 years ago with the Arizona Cardinals, but he's still an effective football player. Still going to – I mean, he had eight touchdown catches last year. You put the ball up in traffic, and Anquan Bolden will go get it, and then the, the defensive back thinks he's going to stop him. He's fixing to be sorely mistaken, so – I think, you know, you're, like you said, I think he'd be an asset in Minnesota. I think he'd be an asset in Cleveland. I think he'd be an asset on 32 teams in the NFL, give or take. You know, I don't know that there's a depth chart in the NFL that's so loaded that you can't find a bit of a role for a guy like Anquan Bolden. We have had a yeah, little bit of free agent movement. have had a little free agent movement these past couple of days. We've had a little uh, restricted free agent. A couple offer sheets. Other teams signing. Uh, I think it was Gary Gilliam was signed to an offer sheet by, I forget who, ex formerly of the Seahawks. And the Seahawks come out, and it's a testament to how much Gilliam has struggled at right tackle the past couple of years that the Seahawks made it very clear very quickly they're not interested in matching the offer sheet, although I cannot remember for the life of me who signed it. The one that really interested me, though, because it was a decent-sized offer, and it's one that could have some fantasy impact in 2017, Mike Gillisley, formerly of the Buffalo Bills. At least I think it's going to be formerly. I don't know that they're going to want to match an offer sheet that will pay him $4 million in 2017. Signed by the New England Patriots, who just recently also re-upped Super Bowl hero and pass-catching Back guru James White through, I believe, 2020. Todd, I'm guessing that this spells the end of LeGarrette Blount's time with the New England Patriots. I say guessing because it's the Patriots, so who knows what they're doing. Are we looking at another one of those maddening New England backfields where you just never know from one week to the next which back is going to get the touches? Oh, especially, yeah, especially when you include the fact that they signed Rex Burkhead to a nice contract during free agency. And now all of a sudden you're looking at Deion Lewis, you're looking at James White, you're looking at Burkhead, you're looking at Gillisley. I mean, wow. I mean, that that's a backfield just to steer clear from because you are never going to know from one game to the next who is going to be the guy and who is going to be in the doghouse. 
it's just it, it, it's a it's a mess. <laughs> Patriots make me sick. They're going to be so good this year. Ugh. <laughs> A little bit of news out of Cleveland that does not. We'll be talking Cleveland here in just a moment regarding the NFL draft, but this does not concern this year's draft. Brock Osweiler recently acquired quarterback by the Cleveland Browns, although all reports indicated when they essentially bought out Osweiler's contract from the Houston Texans in return for a second-round draft pick that he would be either traded or released Cleveland's changing their tune a little bit as first voluntary workouts get underway. Osweiler is there, and the Browns are saying he will be allowed to compete for the starting job. Mr. Lasky, will Brock Osweiler be the week one starter quarterback for the Cleveland Browns? Now, I don't think so. Uh, as we discussed last week, uh, it is my vision that as of last week that Cleveland stays and they get Miles Garrett at number one and at number twelve they they choose Watson Deshaun Watson out of Clemson and he's the week one starter. But news came out just recently that they are very interested in trading their number twelve pick up to number six and trade with the New York Jets. And we all know that they've got a lot of collateral because they've got like fourteen picks this year or something. But we also know that they are very much in love with Mitchell Trubisky, which I would think that this is a big indication that that is their target at number six. Is no, I agree. They don't think that if, they don't think that Trubisky's going to last to twelve. Yeah. Right. If the rumors are true that they want to swap with the Jets and move up six spots, it's because they want Trubisky, and that's. I'm not a huge Trubisky guy. But as a Browns fan, I will say it depends on what you have to give up for it, obviously. You don't want to give up too much, especially in a draft where it seems like those that moving up those six spots doesn't necessarily carry the weight that it would in other years. I mean, we're seeing the rumors that the Jets are willing to trade back, that the 49ers are willing to trade back, that the Bears are willing to trade back. I bet the Browns would be willing to trade back if you offered them enough. You know, teams are just not in love with the top end of the draft this year. And more so, I think, because of the talent at, say, offensive tackle and quarterback, it's just not a great class at those positions. I think there's plenty of talent on the defensive side of the ball, but I just don't know the teams are valuing that quite as much. I will also say as a Browns fan, I don't mind the idea of coming out and saying, hey, Brock Osweiler is going to be allowed to compete for the starting job. You just agreed to pay this guy – $15 million plus in 2017, whether he's on your roster or not. I mean, even if they were to trade him, the Browns are still going to be on the hook for the overwhelming majority of that money because that's going to be part of any trade as the Browns picking up most of the check. So if you've already spent the money, what is the harm in letting him go out there and compete? And I know that there are a lot of Browns fans who love Cody Kessler, I like him okay. I mean, he showed some guts last year, but Cody Kessler is not a starting quarterback in the NFL. I just can't put it any player in that. Could be a great, could be a backup in the NFL for ten years, but that is he is what he is. So I, just, I never understood why as soon as they picked up Osweiler, the talk was, well, we're going to trade him. If we can't find someone to trade him to, we'll just cut it. That just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, it, you're not out anything to roll him out there in camp and to see what you have. So it does appear that the Browns are fixing to be very aggressive on draft day. And also, if the rumor is true that they're interested in moving up half a dozen spots, you've got to think that would seem to lean toward the team taking Miles Garrett, number one overall. The Browns came out today. Sashi Brown said they are not going to tip their hand as to who they are drafting at number one but it also sounds like their minds are made up because he said, we feel really good about the guy we're going to pick in that spot. So that would seem to indicate they have decided on the player they're going to take. They just don't want to tell yet, which I'm sure honestly makes Roger Goodell happy. You want to maintain a little bit of suspense, even if I think 90 plus percent of the draft picks out there expect that Miles Garrett is going to be the number one pick. So, I may not get the quarterback I wanted. I will confess that, as Todd mentioned, I am a Deshaun Watson guy. 
But to see the Browns aggressively pursue that quarterback as opposed to waiting until pick 22 and picking a Brandon Whedon or a Johnny Manziel, I like that out of the franchise. Now, is that a guarantee that Trubisky's not going to stink like every other quarterback the Browns have rolled out there for the last 20 years? No. But at least they're trying. At least they're making an effort. And I commend that. We are not here to talk about quarterbacks tonight, though. We did that last week. And frankly, this year's quarterback class is already being talked about too much anyway. We are not here to talk about running backs. We did that last week. Although it is a very good group of running backs. And there's one guy that we will talk about tonight who played running back in college, although he's not really running back anymore. We think maybe. We're not really sure what he's going to be just yet. Although I think he could be a sneaky fantasy value, depending on if he lands with the team that uses him correctly. Tonight we are here to talk about the wide receivers and the tight ends, the pass catchers. And we've had a little news at the wide receiver position in the last week or so. Western Michigan's Corey Davis, who was perceived by many people not too long ago to be the number one receiver prospect in this year's draft, there is now scuttlebutt that he could fall from the first round altogether because he did not work out at the combine, did not work out at his pro day, did not run a 40-yard dash. And that has some team's concern. But let me first ask you, Todd, what do you make of the Corey Davis scuttlebutt? Is it just silly season posturing by teams hoping he'll fall? And is he your number one wide receiver? Uh, first of all, uh, your first the answer to number one is yes. I do think that that is nothing but complete scuttlebutt. Uh, he is uh, definitely a first-round pick. He is number one on my board. And I have not written out uh, at fantasystarks.com my mock drafts. I do them so often I kind of hand-scribble them. And a couple days later, I do another one. Uh, I have him as my first wide receiver off the board. And I, I think that he's going to stay there. Um, just looking at everything, he there's two definite number one wide receiver prospects. There will be three drafted in the first round. But when I care, everything between Mr. Davis and Mike Williams, the third coming, uh, I, I just see Corey Davis is just a little bit above Mike Williams in a lot of the areas. Corey Davis is the guy that's going to be first off the board for wide receivers. In my mock draft, he wasn't the first receiver taken, Williams was. But Davis is my number one guy, too. And I understood he didn't work out. He didn't run the 40. The 40, oh, my God, the 40. The tape don't lie. That's, it's an old thing, but it's true. And you look at the production he's been able to put up at Western Michigan, especially the red zone production. I mean, he's a monster on contested catches. And, I, you know, if he gets past – I keep looking at Baltimore at 16, and I'm like, man, he would look good for the Ravens because he would give you that compliment to the speed guys, you know, that big body that they need. And I I honestly don't know because Ozzie Newsom seems to have a thing for burners. So, I don't know, maybe they'll draft John Ross and just go with the speed guy again. But I agree. I think, I hope that it's just NFL teams blowing smoke in the hopes that maybe Davis will drop a spot or two and they can get up there and snag him. I can't imagine a scenario where he makes it out of April 27th and hasn't been picked yet. I would be, my jaw would be on the ground. I would be, to me, I don't know how you could have that much bigger a surprise in the first round of this year's draft unless something really weird happened with the quarterbacks or something. I, Corey Davis, there's just too much tape. He's too good. He's really good. He's going to be a fine NFL wide receiver. Who's your number two? Uh, it, it would then be Mike Williams. Uh, like I said, they're so far ahead of everybody else. Um, I think they're in a 1A. They're that close. I, I give a slight edge to, to Corey, but Mike Williams is right there with him in most categories. And actually, uh, how ironic would this be if Mike Williams is drafted number and lands up another Clemson wide receiver on the other side with Sammy Watkins? <laughs> 
it, it could you know, very I well happen. See that. Yeah, I could see that. I think I may actually have mocked him to Buffalo in the mock that I did for Bleacher Report. I think I'm I, actually I do because I seem to recall writing something about Clemson wide receivers and don't freak out because Sammy Watkins can't stay healthy because that really doesn't have anything to do with anything. Well, let me ask you this: since we get on move until before we move on to your number three guy, who I'm guessing I know who that's going to be, where would you slot Corey Davis? and Mike Williams relative to this year's top running back prospects? You know, uh, say a dynasty rookie draft. Well, and that's actually funny. In a dynasty rookie draft, I've seen Corey Davis, uh, Devin Kelman, and Leonard Fournette all go number one in various rankings or various mocks or whatever. I think all four are pretty much interchangeable. It's awful hard to predict right now because we don't know the scheme. We don't know the team they're going to. So right now it's like throwing darts at a dartboard. You know, you could attach anyone to any player and you could be right. You could be wrong. We will know a lot more in 10 days than what we know now. Right. Now, granted, I mean, team needs plays a part, even if you're picking first in a dynasty draft, odds are you're, the team has more than one need, but if you're, you know, set at running back and just have a wasteland at wide receiver, I can see maybe going that route. But, man, I would be hard for – it's nothing against Corey Davis or Mike Williams or, or their talent or what I think they'll be able to do at the NFL level. But, I, man, I'd have a hard time picking those guys ahead of Fournette. I just – I would. I just – it's always been my – I've always been in the inclination – that it's easier to find wide receiver talent than it is to find running back talent. So, and I think Fournette's going to be a good one. But, hey, what do I know? And I know your mileage may vary. So, I take it your number three is John Ross. Yeah, John Ross, and I think he's going to be overdrafted a little bit, but uh, that's because speed kills. Uh, we've seen it in the past with uh, C. Uh, Chris Johnson. Uh, we've seen it uh all throughout history, Al Davis has made a very common um, trend every year in drafting speed. A lot last year because of off-the-field problems, but when he was on the field, we indeed saw that speed kills. John Ross did set uh, a Washington record for most kick returns, also for a touchdown. Uh, I think with the dual aspect of him with his speed at 4-2, uh, with his capability to return kicks, uh, he will be the number three wide receiver taken. And I expect it to be somewhere around the 20 range, maybe a little bit later, but he will be in the first round. You know, he could be. I think he has a little bit higher. I don't want to really say bust potential because I don't know that that's really the word I want to use. But there's a little more risk involved with him than a Mike Williams or a Corey Davis. But he might have a higher ceiling, too, because if he's able to truly utilize those wheels of his in the National Football League, I mean, it could be like Deshaun Jackson, only faster. And this isn't a Rashad Perriman situation where you've got a wide receiver that runs like a deer and catches like a deer. Sean Ross can catch. So, I, whereas Perriman, I was railing against the notion of him as a first-round pick. John Ross in that second half of the first round, I've got no problem with that. Although I'd like to see him land with a team that has a sort of quarterback that can take advantage of what he does best. You don't want, you know, you don't want him in Kansas City because Alex Smith is not exactly a quarterback who's great at availing himself of vertical threats in the receiving game. You just got to throw it 10 yards to Tyreek Hill and hope he can take care of the other 70 himself. Uh, who's your number four receiver? Well, see, and that's where the logjam kind of comes about. Uh, in my opinion, through the varying uh, pros and cons of the next wide receivers, there's up to like 10 that could be taken within the next two rounds. Each one's got some pros and cons. You kind of hinted on one uh, earlier about a uh, what position does he indeed play, when, what position does he not. I'll let you talk about him a little bit because he's coming from your home state, so I'll leave that one alone. Uh, I think it's going to come down, and I believe it may be Zay Jones, who's done nothing but step up 
Uh, I saw real early in the season he was ranked down in like the low 20s as far as prospects or wide receivers, but he's done nothing but climb up the boards. He had a tremendous week at the, the Senior Bowl. Um, he continues to impress uh, with what he did at the Combine. Uh, his numbers speak very loud for him uh, from his uh, career uh, in college. Uh, I think he's a guy, he's not, he's not overly big, but I think he slots into the slot role very well for quite a few teams, and I could see him being the next wide receiver off the board. I think there's uh, some very nice – I think there's some very nice day two talent. It's there's some very nice day two talent this year. There's some nice consolation prizes if you're uh, if you're not able to get one of those guys on day one. I know you mentioned the young man from East Carolina, and you kind of alluded to the guy that I kind of alluded to. I'm I'm very much a Curtis Samuel guy. I just the biggest thing for me with Curtis Samuel, who I think is probably going to have wide receiver positional eligibility at the NFL level, it's going to be his landing on a team that is able to take advantage of what he does best. You know, they move him around the field a little bit, give him some mismatches, you know, sometimes in the slot, sometimes in the backfield, get him in space. If a team is able to do that, I think he could be a very interesting fantasy asset in that he could be a guy with wide receiver positional eligibility that you're seeing get some backfield touches a la Ty Montgomery with Green Bay Packers last year. I think Curtis Samuel has an outside chance of sneaking into the back the back end of that first round. I'm not – I wouldn't say there's a 50% chance it's going to happen, but I also wouldn't say there's a 10% chance it's going to happen. It wouldn't – you know, once you get to that 28th pick or so, those last five picks of the round, you know, sometimes those good teams, the teams that have those low picks, they sit there and think to them, you know, they they get a little – they think outside the box a little bit more with those picks because they're in position where they don't have this glaring need that they feel like they have to fill. So it would not surprise me to see a team do that. And I i have no doubt Curtis Samuel can succeed in the NFL as a wide receiver for the most part. He's – get him the ball in space and he will make people look silly. So he's going to be a fine player. I think uh, Curtis Godwin out of Penn State is another guy who could be a very nice day two guy. You know, he doesn't really have – he reminds me a little bit of Allen Robinson a few years ago in that he's a guy that he's got a great route tree, and he will go get the football in traffic. He doesn't really have Robinson's size, but he's quicker. And I'm not saying he's going to come out and be Allen Robinson and catch something keen touchdown passes in second NFL season. But I do think he's similar to Allen Robinson, can be a guy who gets drafted on day two and winds up in the starting lineup for an NFL team sooner rather than later. Sure. Uh, there's quite a few more that are right there in that spot. And I agree with you. At number, well, like you said, you mentioned number 28, right around where Dallas is picking. Both of the guys that we just said would fit very nicely within Dallas' scheme. Very nicely. Yeah, and it's, this receiver class I don't know is quite as talent-laden as the last couple, but it's certainly not a wasteland by any stretch of the imagination either. There's plenty of talent at wide receiver this year. And when you combine that with a very deep class at running back, it's a good year for dynasty drafters. Now, granted, if you're looking for quarterback help, maybe not so much. But I do think at the wide receiver running back positions, there's plenty that even if you're in the middle of the first round or even toward the back end of the first round, you can get a guy who has a chance at making it into starting fantasy lineups fairly quickly, who's at least capable of becoming that flex starter for you, something like that. Whereas some years, I mean, you know, it's like some years, if you've got the ninth pick in a 12-team league, by the time it gets around to you and you're looking at what's there, you're like, oh, great, yeah, that's going to help. I hope so, because my serious dynasty team, I'm probably picking around, Oh, I don't know, 11 or 12. It was just good enough to make the playoffs last year. I got bounced in the first round. It's a 16-teamer. And I need 
my offense, especially at the skill positions, running back and wide receiver, I'm getting a little old. I need some. I need a little boost at one of those spots. So with any luck, I will be able to get it this year. Are there any, you know, say day three guys that kind of stand out to you that you think, okay, this guy is going to fall to that third day of the draft, but the team that rolls the dice on him is going to be glad they did. Uh, well, and actually, uh, we've got a cohort at Fantasy Sharks who mentioned him in his column that came out today. Uh, Dan Collins also writes about the rookies, and he did his uh, little scouting report on wide receivers. And the same guy that he mentioned is one guy that I think is a real nice sleeper, and that's Malika Dupree out of LSU. Uh, granted, LSU didn't have the best quarterback play last year, and they also relied very much on the run game. But if you watch this guy's tape, he's got the tools necessary to be an effective NFL receiver, and I think he could be a starter sooner rather than later in the NFL. Uh, I think he's a very nice sleeper. And uh, according to CBSSports.com, and they've got their uh, their prospect rankings, uh Right now, they've got him at number 159 overall, which is slotted to be right around a, a late fourth or fifth round pick. I think if you're, if you're looking that late, he's a very nice one to keep your eye on. Yeah, and let's face it. I mean, if the last few years are any indication, there are going to be some receivers that come out of that third day. There are going to be a couple receivers that come out of that third day that no one had pegged before the year as being a fantasy-relevant guy that's going to be a very popular young man on the waiver wire. So it can be kind of hard to try. I think uh, Austin Carr, the slot kid out of Northwestern, is a guy that I don't know that he's ever going to be a big fantasy asset, but he's a guy that I think could carve out a role on NFL teams. And uh, also, I've heard a lot, and this is going all the way back to the uh, senior role. I heard a lot out of folks who were in mobile, and ever since I've seen more than one draft pick peg uh, Chad Williams out of Grambling. If you're into those small school kids, and if you're not into those small school kids, you ought to be. Pierre Garçon, pride of Mount Union University. So those Small school receivers can hit it big and get that big paycheck, too, because the 49ers don't get Pierre Garcon all the cabbage. He's got great – Williams got great size. I think he's 6'2", 207, something like that. Ran a flat 4-4 at Grambling's Pro Day. Had, I think, 90-something-odd catches for them last year for like 1,400. I mean, he's not a household name. Obviously, Grambling is not the highest level of competition that you're going to find in college football. And he's probably a guy who's going to come out kind of raw. But I, I certainly think the tools are there. And, I think you know, by the time you get to that back end of the fourth, anything in the last three rounds, I don't care what position it is, I think you're looking more than anything for the tools. You're just looking for something you can kind of mold, the proverbial developmental prospect. And I think Chad, Williams fits that bill. Yeah, Chad was actually my number two pick other than Malachi Dupree. And actually Chad is at six foot 207. And he's a guy that, given how much that I've been hearing about Chad Williams, of course, just because draft picks love him doesn't mean that uh, NFL teams feel the same way. There's Most years there's a bit of a disconnect. I know last year I loved uh, Tyler Matakevich. He's a linebacker from, I think, was Temple. Loved him. I figured fourth-round pick, maybe fifth. He was barely drafted. The Steelers took a flyer on him. Oh, I think it was within 10 picks of the end of the draft overall. Of course, now Matikiewicz, some people believe, should be starting instead of Vince Williams next to Ryan Shazier for Pittsburgh because it turns out Tyler Matikiewicz can play, but NFL teams were not sold on the kids. So you never know. You never know which kids the draft community falls more in love with in NFL front offices or vice versa. There will be players who are drafted in the fourth round on Saturday that leaves everyone in the draft community like, wait, what? You know, because someone's going to take a punter like the fourth round and we're all going to laugh at them. So, because that's just dumb. But well, you're not going to reference, you're not going to reference, yeah, you're not going to reference a number two uh, uh, or a second round place kicker picked up, are you? Oh, man. And he's, 
I think honestly that being that second round pick got in his head a little bit because obviously he's a talented kicker. You look at what he was able to do at Florida State, but especially early in the season. Now, toward the end of last year for the Buccaneers, Aguayo kind of settled in a little bit. But I think early in the year that the pressure that was on him and the expectations that, uh, well, this kid never misses a kick. He's never going to miss. He's never going to miss. And he missed everything, and it just looked like that much worse. It was still a terrible trade, don't get me wrong, given what they gave up to draft a kicker. But you can't put pressure on kickers like this. They're fragile. Tender. Well, case in point, Blair Walsh. Yeah. Uh, missed a missed a easy field goal to cuss the Vikings a win at home in the playoffs against Seattle, and then proceeded to stand right in front of a barn and miss it completely time after time again. As you said, kickers are very fragile. Well, yeah, it's just there's so much of that whole – not that there's not physical – exploits necessary to be a kicker and to kick the ball 50-something-odd yards and be accurate with it. But so much of it is mental, and sometimes it gets in their head. Kickers, I would say, are probably the NFL position that would be most prone to getting the quote-unquote the yips. And sometimes once you get them, there's just no getting rid of them. Blair Walsh, I remember his first year between him and Zerline, and for the Rams, everyone was in love with these young kickers, with the huge legs that were banging 55-yarders like it was nothing. And now I think Zerline, who did he sign he with? Re-signed. He he No, he re-signed with the Rams. Oh, he was the out Rams there did hang on for a while. He, Yep, he was out there dangling for a while, and the Rams re-signed him. But it's not like they were kicking down the door to do so is what I was getting. I mean, they're barely – and Blair Walsh, did, has he got a gig right now, or is he looking for work? Oh, he's in Seattle. Ironically. Oh, well, see? Well, uh, I think they just thought, and that's, I, I think he's just there, though, to push, um, what's his name, that missed all the extra points last year. Uh, I think Hauschka's gone. I think he went somewhere else, too. Oh, well, see, I don't, I will freely admit, loyal listeners, that I do not pay attention to kickers. Because literally, I don't draft a kicker in the fantasy league until my last pick ever, and I just look at who's left and grab the guy that's on the best offense. And if he sucks the first week of the year, then he's gone. I get another one. I don't care about kickers. I'm never going to care about kickers. You can't make me care about kickers. That's well about said. I'm, yeah, I, I'm in the same mindset. Last year. We saw something that doesn't necessarily happen every year in fantasy football. We saw a first-year tight end finish inside weekly starter territory in 12-team fantasy football leagues. I believe I glanced the other night, Hunter Henry of the San Diego Chargers finished 11th, which is fairly impressive given that he was dinged up a little bit and splitting time for part of the year with Antonio Gates. So, of course, this year, Fantasy owners will be looking for that next potential superstar at the position. I kind of like this year's tight end class. I wouldn't say that it's phenomenal, but I think maybe there's a little bit more talent than we've seen in the last few classes, maybe a little more upside. Let me put it that way. I think there are some guys in this year's class who could be really good. I'm not saying that they're guaranteed to do so, but I think the potential is there. So, Who's your number one tight end in 2017? Uh, in almost everything that I've seen, uh, number one, and by a little margin, uh, is O.J. Howard out of Alabama. He did not come from a great tight end uh, using offense. Uh, let's face it, you know, they got, they've got some skill at the wide receiver position. They run the ball. They've got a great offensive line. Uh, they utilize that offensive line to block pass. O.J. Howard was not used an awful lot in the Alabama offense during the regular season, but, boy, he did really showcase himself in the two national championship games against Clemson. Uh, he had, like, uh, combined, he had, like, 18 catches for uh, 361 yards and, like, three touchdowns. Uh, he chose uh, to stand up big on the biggest stage of them all. Uh, but, once again, Alabama did not utilize a tight end position, but he has every tool there is needed for a tight end to succeed 
and to succeed well in the in the NFL. Uh, O.J. Howard, I've seen him high as number four overall in this draft class. I don't have him that high, but he's definitely the first tight end. Yeah, I think that the fourth overall would definitely be a reach for Howard, although I'm not saying that that fourth overall pick to Jacksonville is one of the harder – it's probably the hardest pick in the top ten this year to peg. If only because the guys that you would think would go in that spot, the Jaguars just don't need guys in those spots. So it's going to be very interesting to see. I wouldn't be surprised if Jacksonville was another team that, if they could, would like to move back three or four spots. I, I totally agree, I agree with that. I agree with you about Howard. I, I'm, and I will I'll agree with you to an extent that I think Alabama – by which I mean Lane Kiffin didn't necessarily do the best job of using Howard in the offense. I do also think, though, that the criticisms aren't unfounded. That, I mean, he wasn't, it wasn't just that he wasn't used. He would completely disappear in some games. So I'm not saying I'm questioning his work ethic or anything, but you'd like to see a little bit more consistent effort level and you know, it's entirely possible that NFL teams will be able to get that out of him because they are going to ask him to do a lot more at the pro level. I, like I said, upside is the name of the game with the tight end class this year, and I think he's got – he certainly has top ten fantasy upside. He might have top five fantasy upside because we're seeing some of those higher-end guys are starting to drop off on us, and, and the tight end position is – as cloudy as ever, especially when you consider that the presumptive everyone's number one, I mean, you're going to go into every year now wondering how long he's going to stay healthy before you're stuck hitting the waiver wire to pick up a replacement. I take it if Howard is your number one, that your number two is a young man from the U? Uh, Yeah, uh, he's coming from a factory of tight ends. I mean, if you take a look at the list of tight ends that have played and come out of the U, as you so-called said, Let's just look at this. Jerry Greg Olson, Jimmy Graham, Kellen Winslow II. Not a bad group. He's got every tool needed to succeed in the NFL. He's got amazing speed. The only thing that uh, doesn't complete him as much as O.J. Howard is he is not quite the blocker that O.J. Howard is. But he has every tool needed in the passing game to succeed and to be dominant. Yeah, I think that's another situation where you mentioned with uh, Mike Williams and Corey Davis that it's kind of a 1 and 1A deal. I think it's a similar situation with Howard and Joku in Miami. They're similar guys. I I think they're both probably going to be first-round picks. It wouldn't surprise me if Joku's the first guy off the board, if Howard winds up being the better pro or vice versa. What appeals to me as a fantasy owner is that both those guys – are the big athletic field stretching, pass catching, fantasy point racking up type of tight end. No offense to Hunter Henry, he's not really that guy. I mean, Hunter Henry's more of a traditional red zone help in the run game, la 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 type of tight end. So I think this year's class provides us with a little bit more fantasy upside. All the, it may take a little while to for us to realize it because although both those guys, Howard and Joku, are very talented, they're also a little raw. I mean, I don't think either one of them are finished products by any stretch of the imagination. So you're going to want to temper – you should always temper your expectations with rookie tight ends. It's kind of like rookie quarterbacks. Ones that make a fantasy impact are pretty few and far between. But just, you know, be real. Don't expect a guy to – don't be throwing him in your lineup in week one and then wondering why he didn't put up seven catches for 75 yards and a touchdown. Who's your no, Who's your best tight end who isn't Joku or Howard? Uh, well, he's another guy that's coming from uh, the deep south. Uh, Evan Ingram uh, seems like a guy that can line up all over the place on the field. Uh, again, he may not be the best blocker for a blocking tight end, but I think he's more of a move tight end. And when he finds open space, he's an incredible athlete. He's going to be able to use his speed, use his strength, 
to create mismatches and to give a team a very viable option on offense. Uh, he actually, I think, could sleep, slip very late into the first round as well. Right now, I've got him forecasted as an early second, maybe to Jacksonville at number four in the second round. But I could see him maybe sliding up into the very late part of round one if the draft falls right for him. Yeah, he's a guy that I think will benefit greatly from being in the right kind of offense. Like you said, he's not a guy you're going to see with his hands in the dirt at the line of scrimmage very often. I think he weighs, what, like 235 or something, which is pretty small. I mean, he's a long kid. He just could stand to They're going to need to get some carbs in his young man, put a little meat on his bones, hopefully, without sacrificing speed, of course. I will confess I'm very curious to see where Adam Shaheen winds up landing and when he comes off the board. The big man from the tiny school of Ashland University. Six foot six, 278 pounds, and he does not run like a 278-pound I mean, I know when you hear 6'6", 278, you're like, okay, that's a tackle. He run like a tackle. He's not necessarily a locked-in, only help with the run, can't catch the football to save his life type of tight end. Now, obviously, playing at the little school he did level competition is a concern. He's a kid that's going to need some work at the NFL level. But, man, you look at a kid who's six foot six, two seventy eight, and can run, I mean, he's the type of guy where if he is able to realize that potential, we're talking match-up nightmare for school. Yeah, so, not, just, not just in the middle of field, but also the red zone target that he's going to provide with that huge wingspan he's got. Right. I mean, what do you, what do you, what do you cover a 280-pound tight end with? Do you get a safety on him and he just squashes him? Get off me, little safety. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stop bothering me, little person. Uh, once again, I mean, we just mentioned a couple of day two guys, I think, in Shaheen and Anger. Is there a day three tight end that you kind of look at and you say, hey, that kid's got some, you know, I'm not saying that you expect a kid to be a can't miss superstar, but a kid that you look at and you think that that kid could do some damage at the NFL level. Well, you know, and, and it's funny because I, I've seen rankings all over the place on a lot of these tight ends, but the one that's kind of standing out is, again, a, it comes from a school that doesn't use the tight end a whole heck of a lot, but uh, Bucky Hodges, uh, coming out of Virginia Tech, uh, he's got the build. He's 6'6", six, six, he's 257, so he's got the height, he's got the wingspan. Again, not utilized very much because they don't use a tight end a whole heck of a lot at Virginia Tech, but I think he's a guy that given the right situation, uh, is going to be able to perform at the next level. Great minds think alike, sir. That's who I was actually going to mention. Like you said, the physical characteristics are absolutely there. He can run. You know, he's got that ability to stretch the field a little bit. Uh, Pretty good blocker. I mean, it needs work. But honestly, there aren't that many tight ends coming out of college who were used as pass catchers who can also block. It's kind of a one or the other thing for a lot of college teams. I, I just think a lot of college teams just don't teach blocking to skill position players because, heaven forbid, a running back ever come out to pick up a blitz. Yeah, he's probably going to go, what, fourth, maybe fifth. Certainly not a guarantee. But, you know, these NFL teams so desperately, if you don't have a big athletic field stretching tight end, Every team's looking for one, so I certainly think there are going to be teams who are going to be interested in adding Hodges as that sort of quote-unquote project. That's kind of the moral of the story this year with Virginia Tech, though, is <laughs> potential guys, day three potential guys. You know, you got the quarterback, Jared Evans, who I don't think anyone expects to come in and challenge to start as a rookie, but you look at some of the things he was able to do, and you're like, well, there's – some quote-unquote potential. You look at Hodges, quote-unquote potential. So, and I never know. Two, three years from now, we may be talking a little bit more about the damage that the Hokies were able to do in the 2017 NFL draft. we got about 10 minutes to go in the show. We're going to come back next week with some uh, predictions since we will be broadcasting that night on the eve of the 2017 NFL draft this year in the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. So I think we can at least give 10 minutes of time to the defense. I think that that would 
be okay. <laughs> Reuben, Foster. Reuben Foster. There's some news in the last couple of days about him. Inside linebacker, University of Alabama. Considered by most until very recently. The number one inside linebacker prospect and the guy who was probably going to be around one pick. <clears throat> now we're hearing some rumblings that he could be a guy who could be primed for one of those draft day falls for the same reason that Jonathan Allen, some are predicting. I mean, I've seen Allen go anywhere from the top five to the back half of the first round. Both guys, Foster just recently had shoulder surgery. Allen has had surgery on both of his shoulders and actually has a bit of arthritis in them. I mean, are you concerned about these guys and their pro prospects? And if so, is this another case of us seeing these players come out of Alabama that are dinged up? And is that a result of the practices and just the grueling nature of the meat grinder that kids go through in Tuscaloosa? Granted, they're winning lots of games for the Crimson Tide, but is it actually hurting their prospects so far as pros go? Uh, actually, that's a very good question. And uh, obviously, the by far the most two physical conferences in college football are the Big Ten and the SEC. And yet, they're the ones who have the most products. But year in and year out, these questions keep coming about. Jonathan Allen, yes. Uh, he was forecasted to be a possible number one overall pick uh, way back when I first started looking at this stuff. And he slowly slid because of, as you mentioned, with his uh, with his shoulder issues. Um, you hate to see that happen, but again, uh, I think it's the physical nature of what we see that those conferences play with. They're extremely physical. They're blood and guts type of conferences. They're going to beat you down. They're going to wear you out, and that takes a toll on the body. Uh, whether it's good or bad, well, obviously Nick Saban is pretty happy. He's got he's seen some pretty nice contracts over there in El- at Alabama. Um, but is it good for the kids? That's another thing. They they may get rich on one contract, but how long are they going to last? How much are they going to play? Uh, I would love to see Jonathan Allen play more because I do think if everything was perfect in a in a perfect world scenario. He'd be a perfect guy to slide in and be drafted number three or number four to either Chicago or Jacksonville. But because of those issues that you mentioned, I think he is going to slide, like like what you also mentioned. How far down is yet to be seen. But I think that guy stands the potential to lose the most money in the first round because of those issues that you talked about. Yeah, I still think that Ruben Foster is probably my top rookie IDP. Granted, much will depend on where these guys land. But I think the gap probably just narrowed, and I think it might spook some people who, you know, spent an early pick last year on Reggie Ragland only to see him. And he was a kid that, if memory serves, heading into the combine and stuff, there were some questions about his medicals. And I'm not saying that's the reason that he turned around and tore up his knee because one doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the other. But we've seen this movie before with so many rookies coming out of Alabama. I mean, Drake Kirkpatrick's rookie year was marred by injury. Trent Richardson, it seemed like he was always hurt. Can I say definitively that the practices in Tuscaloosa and the way that Nick Saban runs that program is causing these young men to be hurt? No, I don't necessarily know that anyone can. But when the evidence just continues to mount with player after player after player after player, it becomes a lot harder to just discount it and say, no, 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 it's just a coincidence. Because, I mean, how many times does something have to happen before it's no longer that coincidence? No one's arguing. I don't think that Miles Garrett is the number one edge rusher prospect in this year's draft. I haven't seen anyone so far really say that he wasn't. I did see someone say that Derek Barnett might be better, but that was a good month and a half ago. And I think at this point, Barnett has slipped behind the guy I'm just about to ask you about. Is Solomon Thomas the number two guy? That's who I've got in my latest mock, because I've got Solomon Thomas as the number two overall pick going to San Fran. Uh, again, as you mentioned last week, San Fran is changing their uh, defensive scheme. Uh, they're going to need another guy on the edge to provide pressure, and Thomas is also very good at stopping the run. Uh, I don't see that there's a better pick at this time for San Fran to make than to have Solomon Thomas as a number two overall pick. Uh, I know that San Fran would love it if 
the Browns would take anyone besides Garrett because Garrett would be perfect for that Leo weak side end role for the 49ers, all of what the Seahawks do. That's their problem. Is the last last two drafts, they've spent their first round pick on defensive ends to force Buckner, Eric Armstead. The problem is Buckner's probably going to be a three technique tackle in the four three. Armstead, see that if you draft Thomas once again, you've got another guy who's more about power and physicality and what than quickness around the edge necessarily. And I just, I'm not saying 49ers shouldn't switch schemes. I just, it's, I maybe Armstead. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if Armstead wound up the weak side end, which he's. I want to say around 280, but he's also really tall. So I don't, it's going to be interesting to see how they fit, if they do indeed go Thomas at number two overall, how they fit all those pieces together. Do you think Jamal Adams becomes the highest drafted safety since Eric Turner in, I believe, 1992? Yeah, I, I think that that's a match made in heaven for both the Bears and Jamal Adams. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of passing going on in NFC North. You got a couple of pretty good quarterbacks in Stafford and Rodgers. Uh, obviously, the Vikings are switching over to more of a passing game, especially with no Adrian Peterson involved. So there's a lot of aerial uh, balls out there to be floating around. Uh, I think he's a perfect fit to help try and knock some of those balls out of the air or pick them off. Uh, he's also a force against the run. Yes, I think Adams is a perfect fit for the Bears at three. You know, I can't really argue with you, and I know that it's not the sexiest pick in the world or one that maybe fans are going to love, but that also to me is a pick that there's very little chance that the Bears look on that, look back on that pick four years later when they're thinking about picking up that fifth-year option and do anything but pick up the option. So there's not a lot of risk involved with taking Jamal Adams in that spot. And I think, honestly, that's almost as important. And the Bears have so many holes to fill that I mean, just don't overthink it. Man. Who's your number one corner? Uh, actually, uh, coming from your Ohio State Buckeyes, and actually I think they may have the two top corners, to be honest. Uh, uh, there's not a lot of separation between the corners. And there could be as many as eight or more cornerbacks taken in the first round, believe it or not. But I've got Marshawn Lattimore as number one. And as much as Tennessee needs a wide receiver at number five, I also think that they need a cornerback because of all the passing goes on in that division. Take a look at the wide receivers they need to defend. you got T.Y. Hilton. you got DeAndre Hopkins. you got Allen Robinson. Uh, there's a lot of wide receiver heavy offenses in that division that they're going to be playing twice. They're going to need a cornerback to step up and guard those and be their number one. I think that's the guy. Yeah, I think Tennessee can come back with that second first rounder and get that wide receiver. I kind of, I'm inclined to agree with you. Although, Lattimore is another guy some are predicting might slide a little bit. There are a couple teams who are nervous about the hamstring. I saw at least one team that said they had Gary on Connolly higher on their board than Marshawn Lattimore. I mean, going into the 2016 season, everyone thought Gary Unconley was going to be the top corner for Ohio State. No one expected Lattimore to really have the season that he did. But you look at those two guys, it's very possible that three players out of the same secondary could be first-round picks this year. You look at, I think Conley's got a decent chance of sneaking in the back of the first round. I think Lattimore and Malik Hooker are more or less locked to be first-round picks. And then Hooker's a guy that, we're talking about one season of collegiate production and didn't work out at all in draft season because he had to have surgery, but you'd pop in the tape of 2016. Oh, my goodness, that kid had a nose for the football. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. One reason why Ohio State was so good the last couple of years. I mean, great defense. Yeah, it's going to be a – Hard to replace that many starters in just one facet of your deep. But you know what they say, Ohio State doesn't rebuild. They reload. That about wraps it up for our wide receiver and tight end 2017 NFL draft preview here at Fantasy Football Feeding Friendly. Like I said, next week we're probably going to settle down, get in some predictions for the first round of the 2017 draft. There will be some fantasy stuff, some just draft stuff, an hour of fun, for all, and I believe we will be joined by a special guest. 
I will wait and keep that a secret for now. As always, Mr. Lasky, uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, Gary, thank you very much. I truly appreciate it. Again, it was all my pleasure. Uh, everybody, thank you very much for listening. We look forward to a great week next week talking about the draft. And everybody, uh, hope and pray your team is getting who you hope for. Yeah. And if you're a Browns fan like I am, let me tell you, the praying thing, do a lot. Seriously, a lot.